Before I get started this morning, I want to uh, give you a little bit of a heads up, an announcement, something that's coming up uh, in two weeks from today, two Sundays from today, March 13th, after the morning worship service. We're going to invite you to stay and hang around for a little while. Um, We're having a meeting, not a business meeting. There won't be anything to vote on. Uh, There won't be any fights or anything like that, but I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But we do, want to, we do want to give you some reports. We want to give you some reports about where things are right now, where we are financially, um, where we are with some of our ministries that have been going on that, that we want to share with you some... some I, I, I'll just, you know, give you a little... Let you in on the secret. It, it's, it's good news. Okay, it's good news. But we've been asking people to pray now for a number of months about some of the key things that are facing us as a congregation. And uh, we've been asking you to pray, and you've been praying, and, and God has been listening, and God has been answering, and we thought it's time to let you know how things are going. So in two weeks, we're going to have a, an opportunity to let you know the, uh, the finance and facilities team, Michael Mojica leading that team, and Shirley Adams, our treasurer, they're going to fill us in on where we are um, financially, how we're doing, and um, uh, we're going to talk about uh, the Kingdom Kids Ministry and how that's going through the roof, and we're going to talk about Ignite and how that's thriving, and the food pantry is going to uh, fill, fill you in on what's going on with the food pantry. Uh, uh, we're going to talk about new leaders that we're, that we're going to present for, for affirmation at our annual meeting in May. And uh, all of the things that we've been working on that you don't see every Sunday. Uh, But we want to let you know how things are going so that you can rejoice with us and get ready for what's coming up. And I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the plans that we have that we're working on for the next several months. Um, Something really big that's coming toward the end of this year that we're very excited about. So just... Our constitution says we have to announce these things two Sundays in advance. (laughs) Even though it's not a business meeting, it's a meeting. And uh, we want to do things properly. We want to do things the right way. So we're letting you know in two Sundays, plan to stay after church. I know a lot of you do anyway. Plan to stay after church. we're, we're, we're not going to take any longer than we have to take, but we want to let you know, and by the way, want to give you an opportunity to ask questions. Uh, if you're curious about things, you'd like to know things, we're going we're gonna to give you a chance to ask some questions. I don't know that we're going to be able to answer every question you ask, um, but we're going to hear you, and we're going to answer the questions that we can, and we're going to work on any questions that you ask that we can't answer right away. Is that fair? Yeah. All right. Thank you for that uh, little announcement, that little commercial. And uh, now I'd like to start this morning's message. And we could just tack some time on the end to, to take care of that, right? If I, if I run long? Okay. I said if. <laughs> uh, the story so far. We're finishing the series in Jonah this morning. Okay, I, I had in my notes, pause for applause, but that, <laughs> there it is, there it is, I knew it, I knew it was coming. The story th- thus far, and I, I, Kelly, Kelly nags me, 
Stop reviewing all the time. Well, I'm sorry. I'm working on it. All right, when we, when we first were introduced to this guy, Jonah, uh, Jonah chapter 1, 1 and 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Jonah was one of God's prophets. And uh, God said to Noah, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil, for their evil, has come up before me. People's evil comes up before the Lord. Uh, yeah. But, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the... Pre- I'm, gonna, I'm so glad I'm not going to have to keep saying Tarshish after this morning. <laughs> Jonah rose to flee to that place from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to that place. But the, the Lord <laughs> hurled a great wind upon the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. The sailors did everything they could to keep... Uh, the ship from going under, they threw cargo overboard and they prayed and they made sacrifices and offerings. But finally, they realized the only thing that was going to save them was um, they had to get this guy off the boat. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. And the Lord appointed, the Lord appointed, remember that word, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And that's where Jonah chapter 1 ends. And, and then Jonah chapter 2, and Jonah writes this psalm of res- resignation. He's resigned to his fate. He knows that he has misbehaved and he's getting what he deserves. And, and then he, at the end he says, you know, if I, if I ever got the chance, I, I promise God I will, I will pay what I vowed. I will do what I promised. And uh, Jonah chapter 2 and verse 10, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And that's all we're going to say about that. (laughs) Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And this is where we talked about last week. Uh, God gave Jonah a second chance. And we reminded one another, I reminded you at least, you were reminded that God is the God of the second chance. God said again to Jonah, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I shall tell you. By the way, uh, when God sends you to talk to somebody, you don't have to worry about what to say. When Jesus sent the disciples to go out into the towns and villages and to proclaim the message, he said to them, Literally, don't worry about what to say. Words will be given to you. You will know what to say. This happened the other night at the food pantry. Somebody came in and and, uh, they were in some distress. And a couple people went over and talked with this person and prayed with this person. And as they were talking, words were given. I believe by the Holy Spirit, words were given to the people talking with that distressed person so that God's spirit ministered to that person through the people here at the food pantry just trying to help. That could happen to you. Words could be given to you to speak at just the right moment. Very unexpectedly, you didn't think 
that you were going to have an opportunity to speak a word of grace at the right time in the right way. But when you put yourself in God's way, not like he's going to sweep you out of the way, you put yourself in God's way and he might just gather you up and use you as his instrument of grace. And that's cool when it happens. I pray every one of you will get to testify of that. How God used you because you were in the way. God picked you up and he used you as his instrument of grace to minister to another person or people. Anyway, back to the story. Jonah chapter 3, verse 3. So this time Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And then it says, now Nineveh was a big city. We talked about that. And the people of Nineveh, most remarkably, believed God and they called for a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And we talked last week about how even the king uh, called for a day of national prayer. We didn't invent that. Huh. The first people to have a national day of prayer weren't even Christians. Yet. And uh, the people of, of Nineveh, led by their king, their, their day of repentance is summarized in this phrase in verse 3-9. Who knows? God may relent. He may turn and relent from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And wonder of wonders, what they hoped for actually happened. Have you ever had that experience? When you put yourself before the Lord humbly, not demanding, not saying, you owe me this, God, but, but God, if it please you, this would be awesome. And verse 10 of Jonah 3, the last verse of chapter 3, when, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Praise God. If you're an Assyrian, praise God. But if you're the prophet, Jonah, who just led the greatest awakening in history, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Jonah chapter 4 and verse 1. Why was he angry? And this is the whole purpose of God telling Jonah, not only go to Nineveh, but also, Jonah, write this down. Even the part about you being an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> write this down, because generations of people who come after you are going to need to learn this too. And this chapter 4 of Jonah is what God poked me with last fall when Ben Horvitz, who isn't even in the room this morning, gave his message. And, he, and you'll remember, 
he talked about this guy in downtown Middletown. I won't say the name out loud, but you'll remember. And, and Ben heard the voice of God saying to him, Ben, I need you to learn to love this person and all the other people like this person the way I love this person. And right there, I was sitting right over here somewhere. God poked me and he said, you're going to need to say this. And you're going to need to say it soon. So that became part of my plan for the first few months. Jonah the Petulant Prophet, part four. See, I knew this would happen. Would you pause and pray with me for a moment? Because what I have to say today, I really, I really am asking God to bring it home. And I'd like for you to share that request with me. Father, it's your word. I didn't write it. I need this message. I need to apply this message in my life. And I know, Father, that you wanted me to deliver this message today. I know that you have a purpose for it. You have promised that you will not let your word return to you void, but will accomplish the purpose for which you intended it, for which you spoke it. This word that you spoke to us through the petulant prophet Jonah. It wasn't just for him. It wasn't just for then. It's for now. It's for us. Help us to hear it. Help us to understand it. Help us to apply it. Help us to obey it. Help us to make it part of who we are. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jonah's mad. And here's why. Chapter 4 and verse 2. Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, You see, the problem with the written word is you have to supply the emotion when you read it. So, I, I, and I, I, I wasn't there. I, I never met Jonah. I never had a conversation with him. I don't know what his personality was like. I don't know if he was dramatic or reserved like me. I don't know. But in, in the spirit of what's been going on, this is how I'm feeling it. He prayed to the Lord and he said, Oh, Lord! Is this not what I said you would do when I went... When I was still in my country, I knew you were going to do this. And this is why I made haste to flee to. Thank you. Thank you. I was, I was gathering my strength to say it, but, but you helped me. Thank you. That is why I made haste to go there and not 
here where you told me to go. Here's Jonah finally admitting for our understanding why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. It wasn't because he was afraid of being persecuted. He wasn't afraid of these Assyrian people. Yes, he knew their reputation. Yes, he knew they were wicked and violent and cruel. He didn't refuse to go to Nineveh because he was afraid they wouldn't receive him well. He didn't want to go to Nineveh because he suspected that they would receive him well. And that they would heed his warning. And that's what he didn't want. The rest of verse 2 says, For I knew that you were a gracious God. And merciful. And slow to anger. Not like me. I knew that you were abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And that's the last thing Jonah wanted for these people. Uh, Archaeologists have uncovered an artist rendering, an early artist rendering of what what Jonah might have looked like. (laughs) I don't know if it's accurate. In that verse 2, Jonah mentions five things that he knew are true about God. Now, um, you could read them as easily as I could. This isn't about me knowing something you don't know. This is just reading what's here. Five things Jonah knew to be true about God. One, God is gracious. Yeah. God is merciful. I know Jonah knew that God is slow to become angry. God knew, Jonah knew that God is abounding in steadfast love. Steadfast love. Steadfast steadfast love. Steadfast love. That's gritty, determined love. I'm going to love you. I don't care what you do. I'm going to love you, like it or not. That's how I won Kelly. That's how I've held on to her all these years. <laughs> or actually, it's how she's held on to me. And he knew that God is inclined to relent from bringing disaster. God takes no joy in punishing. God takes no joy in causing the earth to open up and swallow disobedient people. As terrifying as that is, and as much as it teaches us about God, that's not who God wants to be to us. He would much rather relent from causing calamity and demonstrate His grace and mercy. And that's the reason Jonah tried to avoid this assignment. He didn't want God to be any of these things. To those people. To those people. 
the enemies of his own people, Israel. It's like rooting for the Red Sox. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But you know it's true. <laughs> it's been suggested that Jonah's own village, maybe, maybe his own relatives, had been victims of the famous cruelty of these Assyrians. Their acts, their acts of violence, their... You don't even want to read what historians have written about these people. Their depravity was legendary. They deserved God's wrath and punishment. They deserved the same treatment that Sodom and Gomorrah got. So do a lot of people. I remember, I remember a generation ago, somebody from a pulpit somewhere in the United States saying, if God doesn't destroy the city of San Francisco with fire and brimstone, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. Do you, do you ever remember somebody saying that? That's what Jonah wanted for this wicked city and the people that lived there. He wanted the Gomorrah treatment. This is what Jonah knew to be true about God. By the way, this is what you and I know to be true about God too, right? We know this about God. We've been reminded of it today. But I wonder, I have this written down here to ask you. Dennis, ask, ask the people in the room, who is on your list of people you don't want God to show grace and mercy to? You, you do have a list, right? I know, I know. A few years ago, I talked about this in a, in a different context, in a different message. And you, some of you will remember the day when I, you know, I gave the, hypo, the, the made-up story about the policeman who pulled the car over, just, you know, hypothetically, he was speeding. And the driver thought he should receive mercy when, in fact, he got justice. You remember that. Who is on your list of people that, that for you, are like Jonah's Assyrians, Ninevites? I don't want God to show mercy to those people. I want them to get what they deserve. Sooner than later would be nice. Jonah says, Therefore now, O Lord, please just kill me. Please take my life from me, for it is better that for me to die than to live. Back to chapter 1. You're going to have to throw me overboard. I can't jump. But that's what needs to happen. You better throw me in. 
God, just kill me now. If this is how you're going to behave, I don't want to be here to see it. I don't want to go home and explain to my people what I did here. How am I going to tell my family that I committed treason? I abetted my enemies. I preached. What did he preach? I preached judgment. Fire and brimstone are coming at you. Yet 40, you got 40 days. <laughs> I didn't want them to repent. I wanted them to be stubborn. To refuse to believe, to refuse to listen. In fact, I wanted them to be like my people. The Israelites. If they had just behaved like my own people have behaved so many times when God sent prophets to warn them, then sometimes it's hard to stand up. Sometimes it's hard to speak up for what is clearly coming from the heart and the will of God. Particularly when it's not what is coming from the heart and the will of our crowd. So God asks Jonah what I call a diagnostic question. Here's the question, verse 4. The Lord said, Hmm, do you do well to be angry? Jonah, do you do well? This takes me back to Genesis 4. Cain and Abel. God asked Cain this same question. Came, came out a little differently, but it's the same question. Genesis 4, verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, Cain, why are you so angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well... Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, Cain, but you must rule over it. Cain, do you do well to be angry? Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Dennis, do you do well to be so angry over this? Self, Do I do well to be angry? Or do I do well to be bitter? Or do I do well to be selfish or jealous? Or do I do well to take offense at that? Self, am I doing well? With my thoughts and with my attitudes? Jonah went out of the city... He didn't answer God's question. Because he knew the answer. So do I often. When I, when I think to ask myself this question, I already know the answer. No, I'm not doing very well right now. Something had, had, had better change. Because I'm not 
if, if God was to put this question to me, I don't have a good answer for him. So Jonah went to a place outside the city to the east, and he made a booth, a temporary shelter, a lean-to. He made it and he sat down there. He put it in the shade till he should see what became of the city. I, I think he was still hoping. <laughs> this is going to be a light show. <laughs> God's going to put on a fireworks display. I hope. And I don't want to miss it. This is where we get the idea of the grand finale. The finality. He was hoping, maybe, that the people of Nineveh weren't really sincere in their outward show of repentance, that it wouldn't last, and that God would see right through it. It was just a big show. And that God would still rain down the fiery wrath of heaven and smite. You can't say that word quietly. <laughs> So God did put together a demonstration for Jonah's benefit. And it's pretty cool. That's not what he expected. Check it out. It's pretty interesting. Verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. <laughs> so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. This is going to be nice. God is making me comfortable. This is going to be a good show. I've got the reclining theater seat. Incidentally, does anyone else here think that, that this, this story here about this, this plant that grew up overnight. Do you think that this might be the origin of the Jack and the Beanstalk legend? I... <laughs> Pastor Tim gave me this graphic. He, he's not here this morning to see it, but I wanted to use it. I appreciate it. Here's, here's uh, Jonah sitting there under that shade tree plant. Uh, just, just making him very comfortable. Uh-oh. Verse 7. But when dawn came up the very next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. Uh-oh. Uh God has made another appointment. We saw, of course, the great fish. I called your attention to the great fish. God appointed the great fish. Then God appointed the beans with well, the plant. And now he appointed the worm. Notice the reference to dawn. This apparently was the early worm. Come on. It's the low-hanging fruit. You gotta grab it. Verse 8. When the sun rose. God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked 
that he might die. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah remembered the earlier thought. He was so comfortable there for just a moment. And so full of hope that what he wanted, God was going to do. And then God took away the hope. And he was miserable again. And he thought, I'd rather just die and be done with this miserable experience than to go on living this way for another moment. You know, there are people that come to the very same conclusion. There's another image that came up in the archives, another artist's rendering of the petulant prophet. Go right on from that. But God said to Jonah, Jonah, You don't want to be the subject of God's eye roll. <laughs> Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? There's that diagnostic question again. Do you do well to behave the way you're behaving? This time Jonah answered, Yes! I do well. I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. He had the wrong answer. <laughs> but he answered God's question. I've got good reason to be angry. I've ang I am angrier now than I've ever been in my whole life up to this moment. And I'm so angry I might actually die of anger. I don't know. Have people died of anger? Maybe people die of the things they do from anger. Maybe he could give himself a brain aneurysm or a heart attack. I don't know. And then God said to Jonah, I'm reading now from the DAV. God said to Jonah, really? That's how the DAV has it. The DAV, the Dennis Ashley version. You got that. The Lord said, Jonah, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow. It came into being in a single night and it perished in a single night and you're angry for it? Really? You're angry because this plant was killed by that worm? Jonah, you've nothing invested in this plant. Nothing. You didn't plow the soil. You didn't plant the seed. You didn't cover it over. You didn't put water on it. You didn't tend it as it grew. You didn't protect it from predators. But you're angry. You feel so strongly about the fate of this miserable plant that you are ready to give your life for it. Hmm. You know something, Jonah? You're creating a beautiful illustration for me right here. Hmm. 
I do know something about what you're feeling right now. And right here, God asks the second diagnostic question. Wait for it. Verse 11. Should I not pity Nineveh? In which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. And also, much cattle. People who have studied this are kind of of two opinions about what the expression, they do not know their right hand from their left means. Uh, there, there, is, there is an idea that that means children who have not yet learned. 120,000 little children who don't know anything. And if there was 120,000 little children, there's probably 500,000 older children and adults. The other school of thought is God is just really saying to them, um, kind, of, kind of like what Jesus said from the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. There's 120,000 people in that city, Jonah, who don't know what they're doing. They don't know the difference between right and left. They don't know the difference between right and wrong. They don't know the difference between good and evil. All they've ever seen is evil. That's their standard. That's what they know. But Jonah, you just presented to them my message. And now they know different. And should I not pity them? What do you think, Jonah? I just put the fish out there for fun? I just grew up the vine and the worm and the east wind just because it was a slow day in heaven. I didn't have anything else going on. Jonah, should I not feel the same way about those people the way you've been feeling about one miserable plant? Should I not care about human lives? And what did the livestock ever do that I should wipe them out? I like milk. Here's the second diagnostic question. I believe this is the whole point of the story of Jonah and the book of Jonah in the Bible. It's here to introduce this lesson. And... If you've been reading through the Old Testament and you're paying close attention, this is a new lesson. This has not yet been really proclaimed so far in the Old Testament. In the unfolding of God's plan and purpose, his revelation of himself and what he's about, Jonah teaches us something new about God. Now, it's not new to you, because you know the rest of the story. But it was new to Jonah, and everybody that Jonah had been talking to. Everything that happened to Jonah happened so that he, Jonah, his people, Israel, and everyone who has lived since Jonah, including you and me here today, 
would learn this. Are you ready? Here it is. The second diagnostic question. Should not I be the God of everyone? Should not God be the God of every human being? Whether they deserve him or not. Oh, by the way, does anybody deserve him? Should God only bless the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and curse everyone else? Is that what you want, Jonah? Jonah would have had an answer for that question. But it would have been the wrong answer. Should anyone... Should anyone other than God decide for God who he shows mercy and compassion to? Should anyone other than God, decide who gets God's everlasting love? Well, shouldn't he be the God of everyone? We say, God bless America. Somebody this week posted on their social media page, I stand with Israel. God bless Israel. God bless Ukraine. Yeah, we're on board with that right now. This week. God bless China. God bless North Korea. God bless Afghanistan. If you're sitting with a, in a chair with armrests, put your hands on your armrests for a minute. God bless Russia. Don't we often say instead, oh God, bless me and those who are like me. When actually what we're really saying is God bless me and those I like. And if you judge everyone else, what is that to me? Jonah. Should I not pity those people who don't know the difference between right and wrong? Jonah, should I, should I not be the God of everyone? God, bless who you will bless. Please help me not to put myself between you and the person 
or people that you want to bless. Instead, Father, if you find me in your way, would you lay your hand upon me and use me as an instrument of your blessing? Help me and those around me to learn the lesson that Jonah learned. Jonah was passionate enough that he was willing to die. And that's a beautiful illustration of the God speaking to Jonah who also was passionate enough to die. Your death, the death of your son, your only begotten son, Jesus Christ, was purposeful and it accomplished what you intended for it. The saving of many souls alive. You are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I pray, Father, not just for me and not just for people I like, but for everyone to turn and face you and call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. For I believe, Father, that you are the God of everyone. And would you make it, Father, so that everyone calls you God?